Well, welcome. Brewster, good to have you with us. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Brewster, we're going to invite you to stick around with us longer than usual because we're going to baptize a bunch of people and celebrate that. So we invite you to stay with us. If you're on our online campus and tuning in, thanks for doing that. And all y'all here in the pack in Chelan, thanks for being here. Uh, we're kind of turning for home uh, talking about what happened after Easter. We celebrate Easter on Easter Sunday, and it's a big deal, and it is a big deal. Jesus rose from the dead, and, and that's a big deal. Uh, but then we decided to spend a few weeks talking about then what? Then what happened? And what happened is there was a bunch of people that, like, uh, doubted that it really happened. In fact, all the followers of Jesus, everyone who thought he was a big deal when he was alive, on the uh, Friday he was put to death, Saturday, Sunday morning, they believed he was dead and going to stay that way. Everybody who brought you the news of Jesus thought he was dead and going to stay that way. And then he rose from the dead, proved he wasn't just, such a, uh, just a dude, he was God Almighty. But a lot of people still struggled with that. There was a distance between what they knew and what was truth or, or what they believed. So there was this distance. Have you ever done something where, like, that's too far? I remember we used to take kids to uh, middle schoolers. Middle school boys are the best. Um, if you don't have to be their parents. Uh, we used to take kids to winter camp. And on the way to winter camp, we would stop because between here and Wenatchee, they used to have the deer pit. Anybody with me? And they would put um, animals that had died or fell asleep and throw them into this pit. And it used to be, maybe um, some of the deputies uh, can tell us where it is now because I don't know where it is. But, and they throw it in. Well, we would stop like a good youth pastor would. And we'd say to the We'd say to the middle school boys, hey, I bet you can't jump that pit. <laughs> it's no fun when they make it. <laughs> yeah. You go run it, you take that leap, and they land right on. There, there, there was, a, there's, there's geese in there? <laughs> yeah. Um, just sleeping, though, boys and girls. Uh, so you're like, oh, man, who, who, th- who made you think, middle school boy, that you could make that? That is too far for you to jump. Mike Wool, uh, uh, Mike Wool probably <laughs> talked him into it. Mike Wool probably killed most of the animals that were in the pit. So I, uh, I remember clearly the day when I was in high school and I was a ninth grader and I wasn't as strong and muscular as I am today. I was more lean and fast. And so... Uh, I decided to go out for track, and I'm going to throw the shot put. Uh, the shot put weighed, it, when I was in high school, what's the shot put weigh? Yeah, uh, about 40 pounds. So um, I think it was 12 when I was in high school. And so I don't know anything, and we have no, it, I went to Nampa Christian Home of the Trojans. We didn't have anybody to help the field events. So you just figured it out. So I thought I knew what I was doing and everything. I'm a freshman. I have my own driver's license, Idaho. You get it when you're 14. So we didn't have to ride the bus. So I leave my house in Boise. I get in the 1974 Orange Gremlin, and I take off on I-84, and I cruise out to Weezer, the Weezer Invitational, one of the biggest track meets in Idaho. Anyone know where Weezer is? Yeah. Um, It's a horrible place. (laughs) There's all these people there, and I'm like a little bit intimidated, but I, I got this. No one told me. No one told me that the distance between the circle 
where you start and the sand pit where the shot put's supposed to land is about 35 feet. I could only throw it 33 feet. So you have all these schools, all the big schools, Capitol High School and Marine and Centennial, all the big schools, Weezer, all the big schools. So I get up there, I'm one of the first to throw, and I go through all my routine, and just, you know, I flex a little bit right before so they know I mean business, and I, I just send it, and it goes sailing, and it doesn't, the thud it makes when it hits the grass before the sand is a horrible moment. High school boys don't giggle, but if they did, they would have just laughed out loud. The distance, my ability to get the shot put from here to the sand was never going to happen that day. Uh, I, I, I didn't have enough strength or speed or, or whatever. The distance was too far. After Easter, there was a bunch of doubt. There was this post-Easter doubt. And without being too forward, I'm just saying, I bet you some of you have the same doubt. Whether you've ever been to church before or you used to go to church or, 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 or maybe you just had a bad weekend. But there's this moment where we know that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, was on the earth about 40 days and he appeared to over 500 people. He showed up to um, Mary, Peter and John saw him. He appeared to all the disciples. He showed up just for Thomas. Uh, he had all these different encounters. But at the end of that 40 days, Jesus says to them all, as he talked to them in the 40 days, hey, meet me up on top of that mountain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something. So they go to this uh, uh, mountain, and while he's standing on the mountain, he's just like, okay, get the job done. Tell everybody about me, about my teachings, and I'll be back soon. And then he just takes off, just starts ascending and disappears in the clouds. Now, get this. Matthew tells us, who was an eyewitness, Matthew says this. Then the 11, those were the, the 11 of the 12 disciples left, left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, the risen Jesus, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. What are you doubting? Right? Jesus was dead. Now he's alive. He's standing there. He's taken off. What, what more do you need? And the good news is, if people like that who hung out with Jesus, saw him crucified, rose again, have doubts, you're in good company, y'all. If you doubt, it's okay. I just want to take a few minutes and talk about how does Jesus deal with doubting people? How should you deal with your doubt if you have doubt? Most of us doubt. Here's why we doubt. Most of us doubt. In my limited 40-plus years experience of working with, with people in church, most of us have three main reasons. We've got questions that we can't answer. That one of your professors in college said that the Bible wasn't true or the Bible doesn't agree with science or you read an article uh, and you just like, no, I give up on that or I'm never going to believe that stuff. Or you've got situations that seem unfair. That you can't rec reconcile, and I get this, how a good almighty God could let what's going on in the Ukraine happen. Or human trafficking. Or people in poverty. Or the in unlimited amount of pain that runs through our world or through your individual lives. Or... Uh, um, 
um, hurts you can't resolve. Personally and otherwise. Like, you tried to follow Jesus. And someone you love got sick or they got cancer. And you prayed and prayed and prayed. And you knew this loving almighty God was going to come through. And he didn't. And you said, I'm out. Because I doubt. If God wouldn't even do that, I doubt he even exists. Or worse, if he does exist, I doubt he cares about me. Or uh, uh, you had hurt in the church. And I apologize for that because there's a lot of it. You trusted someone up front and they disappointed you. They said they were one thing and you found out they were something else. They had some hidden secret, some Christian leader you, you respected. So there's this doubt and distance. Jesus shows up early on when he first starts his preaching career. And he says this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And everybody listening said, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. And it didn't until after Easter. It didn't until after the, the resurrection. There was an enormous distance between us and God. God's, Jesus says, you got to repent. And that's a fancy word to say. You got to admit that there's a distance. You got to admit that God is perfect and you're not. There's this distance between you and God. And I apologize for the clip art, but this is the best way I can illustrate it. There's you on one side and there's God on the other side of this cliff. And whatever distance that is, if you're going to run and get to God, and may, you may be the best runner or you may be the best, the, the best dad or you may be the best coworker, or you may be the best person, you follow all the rules, whatever you do, you're never going to run and make it across on your own. And Jesus comes in and says, I'll take care of that. So the cross of Christ comes in and closes that gap. Jesus is the distance closer. Let me give you a real life example of that. That we'll call the seven mile walk of doubt. Get this. Two guys that are doubting and Jesus shows up. This is great. Watch what happens. Uh, now the same day, meaning Sunday, Jesus is risen from the day. On that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So seven miles, they pretend uh, Shalan is Jerusalem and Manson is, there, is Emmaus. Or pretend Brewster is Jerusalem and Pateras is Emmaus. It's like seven miles. So these guys are walking home. They'd given up. They thought they'd been followers of Jesus. They saw him die, and now they were confused, so they decided to go home. They were talking with, with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing it. So they're going along. They're just going back home, and they're like, man, we got fooled. What are we going to do now? There's no hope. Uh, what, how can we change this? What are we going to do? And Jesus shows up, but he keeps them from recognizing that it's Jesus. You're like, that doesn't make sense. No, it's not because it's supernatural, right? Jesus came close. When you are in your doubt or you care about somebody who's in doubt, coming up and being next to them and being part of them and interacting with them is the best thing you can do. Jesus draws near because he's got good news. Jesus runs up and he says, hey, what are you guys discussing together as you walk along? He seems kind of like that annoying little brother, right? 
that you and your buddy are walking along. He's like, hey, guys, what's going on? I'm like, we didn't invite you on this walk. He just appears. I don't know if that was common. These guys are just walking like, who's this guy? And then they get irritated because Jesus asks a question that they think he should know the answer to. He doesn't try to hijack the, the, the conversation, but he's like, knows that they're struggling, knows that they're doubting, know that they're depressed. All right? Listen, real quick. He's not in this conversation to win an argument. And many of you have encountered Christians that all they want to do if you have doubts and questions is to win. That is not the way of Jesus. Not some prepackaged presentation that fits everybody. They stood still, their faces downcast. They were, they were crushed. One of them named Cleopas asked Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these last days? And Jesus is like, what things? Just kind of playing along. And they're kind of rude to Jesus because they're like, listen, we're sad. We're not stupid. We know what's going on. And why don't you? Like, you're the only one. Of all the people living in Jerusalem, you're the only one. There's different ways to say that, but they, they don't want to attack Jesus, but their grief is at him like a little bit frustrated or grouchy. How do you not know what's going on? And then Jesus listens to their story. Jesus shuts up, walks, and listens. Those of you that have questions about God or the Bible or church or whatever, I bet you would love someone just to listen to you. To tell, tell us your story. So Jesus listens. And they said, these things, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped. We had put our lives, we had invested everything. And now we're at this moment crushed. We're just going back to our old life. We had hoped that it would be different. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. And after three days, it was a done deal. In addition, some of our women were amazed. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Like, people are talking about it, but we don't believe it. Then some of our companions, Simon, Peter, John, went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. It doesn't make sense. If you really boiled it down, they were like some of you. They said, we have so many doubts. For wherever those came from, from your questions, from past hurt, from disappointment, from mean church or mean church people, we have so many doubts, so we walked out. We didn't understand. We couldn't get our questions answered. We weren't sticking around, so we left. I don't know how long Jesus let him talk. Seven miles, even if you're a fast walker, that's going to take you quite a, a few hours. So he just listened. It's amazing that Jesus not only had the answers to their questions, he was the answer to their question. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. 
Did not, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And like, who's the rude dude that <laughs> bumped into our conversation and now he's putting us down? And all Jesus is saying is, listen, since you were kids, you've learned this stuff. You all went to Hebrew school. You all were raised. You know this stuff. And then Jesus points to a person in the Bible. And he starts at the beginning and works all the way through the present, pointing out situations and prophecies and other things that pointed to Jesus coming. He began with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them that all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He didn't point to a set of principles or a set of rules or church membership or attendance. He pointed to Jesus, the risen Savior of those two dudes and of you. Listen, principles don't save a person. Save, a person does. Found the rules, never saved anybody. Jesus does, though. A person does. So then Jesus walks away. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further, like, This is our exit. We're off, stranger. And he keeps walking, and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't leave us. They get to Emmaus, and it's seven miles is up. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. I don't don't care in any culture. That's a weird, awkward moment. A dude's sleepover is weird in any situation when you don't know him. You know, this stranger comes up, we're talking about, and he answers question like, hey, guy, just spend the night with us. He doesn't know these guys. But Jesus slows down, and for the first time, for the first time in these guys' life, grace makes an appearance. Being accepted and loved by God Almighty based on Jesus and the work of Jesus, not based on the work of me. Grace shows up. Jesus responds to the invite, never forces himself on anybody. They invited him over, Jesus comes. Jesus sits down in their house looks, look, and, and is going to have a meal with them. This is powerful. Watch what happens. When he was at the table with them, they're having dinner, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. He's like, come on, sit down, you guys, relax. It's going to be okay. Let's keep talking. To ask some more questions. Everything's fine. And I think somewhere along the line, as he was passing the bread out, they saw the nail prints in his hands so that would be right above his wrist. And in that moment, something happened. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he disappears. Listen. Being Jesus was a way. He carried the sin in the world and everything, but he was almighty God, 100% man, 100% God. How's that happen? I don't know. But wouldn't that be cool? You just show up, and then you just disappear. Jesus vanishes, and they don't complain, and they're not, like, wondering what had happened. Immediately, immediately, they're... Uh, they hit the seven-mile run of hope. It's not a, a walk of doubting mile. It's a seven-mile run of hope. They're like, oh, man, we got to tell somebody. Their eyes were open for the first time. They didn't know it was Jesus. And they saw the risen Jesus for the very first time in a real way as he was meant to be seen. They asked each other, weren't our hearts burning when the dude talked within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Uh, their hearts burned. Their eyes were open and their hearts burned. And then, then they ran back 
they got to tell somebody. So however long the seven-mile walk took, man, they cut that in half on the way back. When you run smack into grace and acceptance and love that you don't have to earn, that you don't have to work for, that's unconditional, and it's connected to Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, man, you got to go. you got to tell somebody. Look what happens. They run back. They run all the way back to Jerusalem. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Then they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it's true. The Lord is risen. Jesus Christ is not dead. He's risen. They ran. They didn't walk back. And they ran in and told the rest of the disciples. And the rest of the disciples were like, dude, we told you that. We told you so. Peter's like, Dadoi, I told you. I saw him. What's wrong with you guys? They didn't have the same experience. They didn't have the same questions. They were walking at a different pace. And Jesus came close and met them exactly where they were. While they're in the house talking to the other disciples, letting them know they've seen the risen Jesus, while they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace. Shalom. Hello. It's all going to be okay. We got this, y'all. There's a moment in just a few hours where they went from total desperation to total exaltation, celebration. When you encounter the risen Christ, the way he was meant to be encountered, unencumbered by church politics, unencumbered by a bunch of rules, unencumbered by your family history, it changes your life. Listen, I got three quick next steps. We always have some next steps here at Real Life. And uh, on the bulletin we gave you on your way in, there's a blue card. And on the blue card, there's a, uh, a connection card. And we want to hear from you. If you have a concern, a prayer request, a comment, we would love to, to hear from you. But the next steps are on there, too, because we want you to listen and participate and then be able to do something with what you, what you hear. Now, listen. Step number one, let grace do the heavy lifting. If you're a follower of Jesus and you love someone who's doubting or struggling, let grace, let Jesus do the heavy lifting. You don't have to. You don't have to convince. You don't have to threaten. You don't have to control. You don't have to manipulate. Let, let Jesus do that. Listen, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you have lots of doubts, let grace do the heavy lifting. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to act better. You are accepted into a relationship with God through Jesus because of Jesus, not your goodness. Second, make time. Make time to focus on Jesus. We as a church get wrapped up in everything but Jesus sometimes. How you look when you show up, where you sit when you show up, what the band sounds like. What are the rules? Who should we love? Who should we not love? Who should we hate altogether? Who should we not hate? What are the rules? Listen, make time and just focus on Jesus. If you've got questions about Scripture and the Bible or whatever, okay. Start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament, and just find Jesus. 
Just look at Jesus. Who did he love? How did he love? What did he teach? How did he live? Make some time to focus on Jesus. Same with you who love someone who's doubting. It's still about Jesus. And finally, respond to a person and not a set of principles. Some of you were raised in a situation. Did I say respond to a person, not a set of principles? I thought so. It's going to appear any time on the screen. Bam. Uh, yeah, some of us were raised. I was raised. It was more important in following the rules, or it was more important how you appeared to follow the rules than actually what you were actually doing when no one was looking. We talked about the love and grace of God, but all I can remember is about uh, uh, the judgment and, and, and retribution of God. Listen, wherever you've come from, wherever you're going to return, it's still about a person. It's still about a relationship. It's still about Jesus. So again, I apologize for the clip art, but this is what it looks like. you got a choice. you got a choice. You can stay with your questions, and that's okay. When We would love to listen to you. We're not going to force anything. If you want to have a coffee and talk about your questions, I'll listen. There's lots of us who will listen. But at some moment, you have to decide. Even though I have some questions and some doubt, maybe Jesus is legitimate. Maybe Jesus really was a Savior. If some guy predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you're compelled to check into that. If some guy gives up his life for the benefit of you so you can have access to God, so you're not stuck in your sin, in your mistakes, in your failure, and gives you access to a new way of living, wouldn't it be encouraged to check out Jesus? Whatever the distance is, Jesus is the solution. We're going to move to baptism now. And we're going to ask Brewster to hang in there with us. And uh, again, we'll bring him out one at a time. And the band's going to play. Feel free to sing along or listen along, however you feel comfortable. But we're going to celebrate the fact that 13 people are here. And they decided sometime in their recent past or long past that they were going to give their life to Jesus. And that distance between them and God disappeared. Not because of them, but because of Jesus. So we're going to celebrate that decision, and we ask you to participate with us. God, thanks for um, loving us. Thanks for um, allowing us a picture of people who struggle just like we do. We have all kinds of questions and doubt. God, I ask that this morning, this moment, that you would make something clear in our heart and our brain and our soul that pushes us in a closer direction towards you. That we accept, we move in a relationship ship with Jesus so that the distance between us and you, God Almighty, is closed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.